Six-Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Today, we will be taking an unusual standpoint um, for our podcast. It's our 200th episode, and we are celebrating by uh, kind of doing a devil's advocate uh, episode. Uh, Blazer Mr. Magoo on Twitch suggested this topic. And so basically what we're going to do is we're going to take things that normally we frown upon or we dislike, and we are going to do our best to advocate for them to come up with reasons why they, they should be something that you do at work or could be something that you do at work. And they aren't always the worst thing in the world. Are, are we going to be sort of ridiculous here or are we going to try or maybe call it out and different things? Because we could definitely see the, bad arguments for and then there are sometimes good arguments for like that are relatively reasonable Uh, i would say let's let's fight our natures and uh, try not to be too ridiculous um hopefully try to be uh supportive try to be suggestive on uh, ways to continue working and uh and and ways to deal with situations that uh, would normally be different from what we would might prefer yeah, and I, I think so. It might be worth it to address some of the the playful arguments, um, simply because you know those are the those are the things that people might expect. But we could address them in a more serious tone, you know. So, so mention them and then be serious from then on. I, I'd like to give it like an actual an actual chance, and not not just us playing the whole time. It's going to be hard for me. I'll be honest. <laughs> So, so which one are we going to start with today? Uh, whichever one you choose. You're the one that starts off the episodes. I also would say like uh, to our Twitch listeners, they should feel free to add any, any ideas that they have um, that, that they think they would like to hear an argument for. Um, go ahead and feel free, and we'll, we may or may not select them, but if it's, it's better than the list that we have. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Uh, this is a reminder that to the podcast listeners that we do try to uh, live broadcast the episodes on Twitch. We also do live streaming, live coding on Wednesdays. So feel free to, to join in and heckle us from there. Uh, so first on our list, we had the the, the rewrite. Aha. Uh-huh. The so grand I, rewrite, like the, the big Mac Daddy one. Yeah, it all bang, down. start over. The software is crap. Let's do it again. I have in the past said that there's no need for that. You can refactor uh, slowly. The, the parts that need to change and the application will get easier to work with. It'll get better to maintain. And if you add testing along the way, then eventually you'll end up with what I would consider to be reasonably good code. Employ the strangler pattern. Right. However, uh, in some code bases that I have worked on recently, they were so old that the technology they were written in was basically dead. <laughs> um, a, like classic ASP, right? There is... Well, there was an upgrade path for Classic ASP to go from uh, Classic ASP to ASP.NET 2 to ASP.NET 3.1 
and then from 3.1 it's not too difficult to go up the ladder until you get over to like .NET Core or something. However, in attempting to do that, the code was so intermingled. Uh, like there was um, global variables and all kinds of stuff. There was a 40,000 line um, code file. I don't understand the problem. Right. So, so how many classes are in there? At one. <laughs> yeah, one. Um, so in a situation like that, if there is a reasonable way to derive the functionality, um, then I I actually think that a rewrite would be the appropriate thing in that case. Um, for that one, it was an API. And so the way that we could have derived the functionality would be to basically reverse engineer the API from the outside. We knew the calls that we were, that we were making, and we knew what to expect from those calls. So we could have said, well, as long as we get back the results that we expect, we consider this to be good enough. Yeah, at that point, I would imagine if there were requirements, if there was a document, if there were user stories, if there was something that dictated what the functionality of the existing system should have been, that's probably long gone, right? So you're effectively treating it as a gold standard. You know the inputs, you know the outputs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Which is a is a method for for doing unit tests when you have a, an unknown system and you're trying to wrap tests around. Is you start with that gold standard test. I know that if I pass two and two into this add method, I get back four. I don't know exactly what it's doing, but I know that I can reproduce those outputs. So I'll do that with a test. And that's just one case. I'm sure there are others. Uh, can you guys think of any other reasons to do the the big rewrite? Yeah, I've. I've been in the same situation where there's just a, an older technology, an older code base. There's just no real uh, smooth way to do a a piecemeal, a, a strangler, um, you know, breaking out functionality. At that point, I, I think it it probably makes sense to figure out what an MVP might look like. What can you get away with replacing, and then build up from there. Uh, the the tough the the tough call there is how do you get buy in from the business because it's it's going to be a difficult sell to go the route of we're going to rewrite what you have and deliver less functionality initially you could probably um put some metrics around the API or the code and find um usually older code bases have a lot of dead code so there may be a bunch of stuff that's not even being called that you could bypass for your MVP um and, and for the MVP, you can also do like a proxy, right? So while you're doing the big rewrite, you have your new code call the old, old code until you have rewritten it. Assuming your old old system would accept that type of interaction, right? Right. Yeah. If it's if it's well, yeah. And there are, there are cases where they're doing weird things that that um, don't allow you to do that. But if it's an API or or web based, then usually you can get away with that kind of stuff. Oh, Mr. Magoo says that he has chosen to rewrite before uh, when the original uh, was unreliable and written in C++, which no one should have to maintain. You got a thing against uh, C++, Mr. Magoo? The world kind of runs on C++, every, every operating system at least. So I guess one question I have is, what's the, so your, your case here, and I'm just going to kind of devil's advocate on your devil's advocating. Is it like an angel's advocation? What? <laughs> So, okay, so in the situation where the code base is too old to bring it to something, to some new standard, I guess the alternate is to not 
to not to continue going with those old standards. But a lot of times that's just not even feasible. Um, and so isn't your only option to rewrite if you want, if you're wanting, if you're looking to really do continue supporting and investing in that, in that platform or you saying like, like you have a car, but you want to train. Right. So, I mean, well, I'm just saying like you're the, 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 the application is in, in such an old, um, is an old technology. I guess you just continue to maintain it or, so if you're trying to maintain it, like you don't need to make any changes to it necessarily. But if you're ne- if you're trying to make changes to it, why not just build something brand new, or, or why not leave what's in place in place and build a whole new application, anyways, like a whole, that j- does whatever new thing you need to do, while the old one still does what the old thing is doing. Or otherwise, you're f- effectively forced into the rewrite. Like there isn't any other option. So. You guys are kind of saying, yes, we're okay with the rewrite, but you're okay with the rewrite in the situation where you like, what's the alternative to the rewrite? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if your old system is COBOL written on an AS 400 and it, it totally works, but you don't want to have anything to do with it, then you're saying you could write like a sidecar application that can do the new functionality, leave the old functionality alone. Yeah. You could absolutely do that. And, and, and if you could actually, if you can get away with that, like if you don't have to modify the existing code, if you can just extend and write new code, that would definitely be preferred. But yeah, we're, we're kind of going with the apocalyptic scenario that, that this, this code base has to be modified continuously because it's the lifeblood of the company and they, they just can't afford to leave it alone for whatever reason. And then you're saying it's better to rewrite it than leave it in the old framework, even though you could leave it in the old framework and make those changes in the old framework. But because of it being the old framework, there's security issues, you know, maybe that old framework's becoming defunct, whatever, whatever that might be. It's worse to continue to modify the old framework code than to, to take the risk of a giant rewrite. Yeah, if you if you show up to your new job and they tell you that their business is car racing and they they point you towards the sponsored car and it's a donkey and a wagon, um, you kind of need to start fresh. Like go go build a car. I feel like the analogies <laughs> in this episode are just going to be <laughs> a lot of fun. How how old of a framework do, do, does this need to be? I mean, like, um, like what what sort of where do where do you think that line? Where does something cross that line? I, I hate to say it, but it, it depends. <laughs> yeah, if your if your entire team has been programming for five years, then ECMAScript twenty fifteen is old enough to do the rewrite. <laughs> Yeah, I would say I would say if we're if we're looking at reasons for a rewrite, um, I would look at uh, technologies that are no longer supported. You know, if if it's a Flash application, if it's a Silverlight application, um, you know, if if there are legitimate reasons that this is no longer going to run, this is no longer going to function. I think that's very much a, a legitimate reason. If it's um, this is a a language that we're having trouble finding talent for that we're having 
trouble finding people that can maintain it, that can enhance it, um, then maybe there's a business justification for uh, starting to rewrite, starting to break off pieces, maybe or maybe not doing a, a big bang, full full bore rewrite. Breaking off pieces, I feel like, is a different story than it is. It, it is so so like so like if if the software is poorly written, then then you refactor. If it only runs on Windows ninety eight, you rewrite. Like once once the system that can run the software or the framework or the language get to a point where they are feasibly no longer supported by the the tech group that you have at your company. So what I'm saying is it feels like you're you're saying is yeah, we're all for rewriting when you absolutely have to. But until then, don't rewrite. I mean, what do you want me to say? Go for it. <laughs> I'm just saying as far as the as far as the advocate but well, we're, we're advocating that a rewrite is not always a bad it's thing. It's not always a bad thing. Okay. But there there are, yeah, it's it's not when it's absolutely necessary to move if forward. If it wasn't episode two hundred, we would say it's it's <laughs> never a good thing. But it's <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. No, I, I mean I, I that that can be the answer. And I kind of agree with you guys uh there as well. I just wonder if, if there's any if there's any point in a if there was so like if you have a a, a technology that's com- that's you know relatively modern um it's not too far off but the application is there a point in when the application can be so in difficult to deal with that you just simply say even though even though we could ref- even though we could refactor this or whatever the risk of the ref- of the risk of refactoring it would just take too long to to work all through that. I, I so think like this, if it's written in web forms or Angular two, exactly. I think this might tie in nicely to our our next bullet item: assembling the Tiger team. You know, well, I'm I, obviously I would, on it, right? I would say, Ash, you, your your description there of, of your scenario is the the code base got away from them, and and by that by that I mean. Um, Good good coding practice may, good coding practices may or may not have been adhered to. Um, requirements not may not have been understood. Uh, the the it, it grew to an unmanageable, unwieldy beast, um, probably at the hands of individuals adding code to it. So that becomes: do we do we assemble a tiger team for a re, for a rewrite? If we hire brand new, fresh grads to maintain the old system, well, we have the best of the old, of the old developers write a brand new one. Yeah. So, so do we take the people that were responsible for making the mess to begin with, and and move them to the Tiger team for the rewrite? Yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you guys handle this one because <laughs> I don't know that I could do this one seriously. <clears throat> There is there is only one kind of tiger team that that I would deem worthy, and that is not a developer only tiger team. The tiger team that that I would deem worthy is you get a subject matter expert from the core company that knows the ins and outs. Right, it doesn't have to be a business person; it just has to be somebody who knows the ins and outs of what it is that you're trying to do. Then because your company clearly couldn't do it the first time, you hire 
a consultant as a, a business analyst slash project manager, whatever you want to call the title, somebody, somebody that can organize thoughts and put them to paper so that the devs can understand what's going on. Then you could take what you consider to be the best developers you have and you give them what should be considered good requirements. And instead of telling them to go 100 miles an hour, you tell them to go 10 miles an hour. Don't do it fast. Do it right. In that case, yes, a specialized team, call it the Tiger Team, specifically organized to rewrite the software in a well-maintainable, testable, and functional manner could be a good thing. Ash? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, who doesn't have deadlines and who doesn't have to go fast? Um, Well, yeah, I I don't know. I'm which, which to, to, to go back. So to go back to the tiger team, I, (laughs) but what if we have deadlines? What if we have to go fast? I've, I've been on a tiger team. I have been on a, I've actually been on a tiger team that actually worked pretty decently. And I think one of the things that you, the, one of the things that you pointed out with the tiger team that might, that might be a, a legitimate, because I didn't even feel like then, but is specialization. So in the particular situation that I was in, um, the, the large company basically found themselves, um, sort of looking at their applications and realizing we're pretty insecure. Uh, and we have a lot of applications out here that are pretty insecure. And so they all of a sudden needed to say, we need to have some sort of project to, to bring all of these applications developed by a vast array of teams into some more secure standards and into some more... so. In that situation, they sort of they assembled a tiger, t- tiger team. They brought in um, a couple experts who didn't really know anything about security until the day before, and then said, "Hey, you know, <laughs> you guys need to come and help us um, because that's how consulting works. Um, you need to come help us." Uh, and and that became the focus of that team was to to drive um, both sort of helping the teams who are maintaining the code fix the code that they have currently, but also provide that education to say, this is how to fix that code going forward. This is how to fix these kinds of issues going forward. Um, with that, so that the teams who hadn't really been following security practices, and that's how they got into the secure, insecure mess that they were in, had that guidance coming in from, um, from teams. So... Uh, that to me, I think, is a pretty decent use of a tiger team, but I still would not call it. We actually did call it the tiger team. I was called the target team. That term should just be completely put into a bottle and thrown away and never used again. Well, Clayton's been on a tiger team and worked on on the Phoenix project, so <laughs> it's true. <clears throat> um, as as far as deadlines go. And moving fast, um, everything comes with a trade-off, right? So if you want to follow um, best practices and you want to do 
uh, maintainable code and you want to do testing and you want to do this and you want to do that and that and that. All of those things come at a cost of speed with the benefit of code that will allow you to move faster in the future because you don't have to worry about whether you've broken this piece or that piece and it's easier to find things and it's easier to make changes and so on and so forth. However, to meet those deadlines, I think it's, is it Facebook? That's like move fast, break stuff. And initially, yes. Yeah. So you, you can have certain items where the goal is, okay, isolate this chunk of functionality, write the worst code ever. It just needs to function. We need to get it out because we want to know if this is something that our customers will use. Let's say that the threshold is a 25% engagement, right? So if we get 25% engagement, then we will create a focused work item or a focused team to then go and write this chunk of software that we have isolated. We've put it in a bubble. We will write that following our, our normal standards. But for the purposes of discovery, we just wanna we just wanna get something out there. It doesn't have to be the best code in the world. It doesn't have to be maintainable. No one's gonna make changes to this except for as part of this experiment. Once we know if it works, we're basically just gonna cut it off, amputate it, and rewrite it the way that our standards say that we should write it. In those scenarios, perfectly reasonable to go fast, break stuff, throw your coding principles out the window. You're just trying to get a test, just trying to get some discovery code out the window or out the door. So that's my standpoint on going fast. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, going fast, I think it's just a bad term, right? Because uh, if you like, it's, it's a question of like short term speed versus long term speed. Uh, going well is always the fastest way to go, but it's long-term fast it's not short-term fast going going like throwing quality out the window can be short-term fast or it could be short-term fast but um not necessarily but it, it definitely there's definitely things that you can you can cut corners to go faster uh the, for uh, sure the, but the ancient chinese proverb if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together yeah, if so like it to to put it into one of our our analogies that we've been breaking out. If you were in a a building and the building was a maze, you're in a room, it's got several doors, right? So it's an unknown space, so if you were going to follow safety standards and other things to solve this maze, you would go to the first door, you would inspect the door, you would look at all of the the cracks in the door to see if there was any traps on the other side. You'd check the hinges to make sure that nothing was weird. You'd, you know, touch the handle, make sure there wasn't a fire on the other side. You'd, you'd do all kinds of, we're being extreme, but you'd do all kinds of things to make sure that that door was safe to open. And then you would open that door. You would check to see if that was the door you should have opened. You close that door, or maybe you, you inspect all the doors before you open any door, right? You will likely solve the maze efficiently, like you might get to the end with opening the least amount of doors. However, you will not solve the maze quickly. If you don't know where you're going, sometimes the best way to find out where you should go is to throw caution to the wind. So you would just go and open a door. Is that it? No. Shut the door. Open the next door. Is that it? No. Shut the door. 
So you would not solve the maze efficiently, but you could at least determine where you need to go quickly. And then once you know where you need to go, then you can be cautious about moving forward. Yeah, at the same time, when the doors exit the maze, you may have solved the maze, but you've exited into another maze. And that's the problem with like... (laughs) You when you exit into other mazes that you then build for yourself that only lead back to the door into the first maze because you went really fast and those are the th- those are the sort of things that cause you to solve the take a really long time to actually come to your ultimate solution. I was going to say the the kind of going fast that I'm trying to advocate for is like A B testing. Yes, we don't know what we want to do, so we need to get out the website in these four different colors. Yep. They don't have to be done correctly. We just need these four colors so that we can see which ones the customers like. Once we know which ones the customers like, we're going to back off and then we're going to do that color correctly. Yeah, and I think that goes to deadlines too because short deadlines can be met. But what you have to start doing is you have to start stripping down functionality and you find what that MVP is. And when people are saying, but add the other thing and bet add the other thing. No, I, I don't. I won't add... Yeah, I think I think the the important distinction here is that we need to know what we're trying to achieve, what our ultimate goal is, what our immediate goal is, and make sure that everyone is on board with that approach. Because what we don't want is for someone to see Clayton's bubble code and think that that is the oh, new, that's how we code here. Yeah, that is the new standard, and <laughs> and all of our all subsequent code will adhere to that standard. And then it it just becomes that unmaintainable mess, right? That's that's why you append bubble to the end of every class, <laughs> so that so that they know. Now we're we're approaching the silly. Got it. Feature feature X bubble. No, it's it's a standard um, Hungarian notation. I I'm not aware of that one. Bubble? You, you just don't know the whole range. Uh, you would, if you were doing something like that, you would want to demark it. It would, it would either be another project and excuse me, in another repository, or you would do something like that. You would say, this is an experimental item. Yeah. How, how many times does you get that experimental done and then they ship it? Ship yeah, it. Well, so it, it all comes it. down to, it all comes down to trust in your company. Yeah. So that, that brings us to requirements. Do, do we, do we need requirements at what level do we need requirements? I, I go back and forth on this. So would I like requirements? Absolutely. If I have requirements, my job gets real easy. Um, however, um, however, I don't, I don't always need requirements. Not, not like, you know, not like a user story with acceptance criteria and testing scenarios and design mockups and, you know, whatever whatever else you might want to throw. Sometimes I just need a picture of what they want the site to look like. And then I can go to the BA and I can say, Hey, I was working on this and I noticed there's this button. What happens when I click the button? And then the BA will tell me sometimes it is faster, easier, less of a headache to go that route and get requirements in real time. And if you, if you look at like, the guidance for Agile, it is supposed to be a communication. It's supposed to be a discussion. So it's not what you see on all the little pretty pictures of the cards, but it is it is in the spirit. Like, it's, it's a communication. I asked a question. I got a response. I showed them 
my, you know, what I had designed. They said, no, it needs to be purple. I changed it to purple. They said, yes, that looks good. Can you move it to the left? I move it to the left. You know, that, that conversation back and forth until they go perfect ship it. Yeah, I think, um, I'm in, I'm in agreement here that I think the, we definitely can get frustrated because it is very easy to work. It's a lot, it's a lot easier to work when you have a well-defined target. Right. But I think that's exactly what work items are. They're targets. And um, there's a question of like, how well defined is this target? And there's definitely different approaches to to that definition. So you you can you you can sit and sort of like push back and go, wait, I don't have enough requirements to like go, move forward or I have sometimes too much requirements to move forward. Um, like. But you can you can sort of like sort of not 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 proceed. But I think um, a lot of times trying to move forward and produce something to say here, let me take a stab at the target and but doing it in such a way that allows you to be flexible in changing, under accepting the rework that is inevitable and. Um, you know, allowing that to become flexible. So you're sort of like, uh, it's a lot like TDD in the way that when we write TD, we write almost as much of the code as we need to make a break or as much as a test to make a break, but then only as much code as it to, to make it pass. And so when your target is hazy, you probably should be putting out some code that's pretty hazy and saying, is this roughly what we're looking for? And maybe get that feedback and ship it kind of, yeah, they sh- They say sh- that's great. Well, then, then you've achieved it. So until they come back and go, wait, well, it does. It also does this other thing, or it doesn't. But we also wanted it to do something else. But I think Fantastic. we make another work item. We, we loved. We love to have a well, clear, defined target. Um, and I think we get probably a little bit uh, grumpy sometimes when we don't have that clear, defined target. Yeah, I I think that every single developer would love to have like the the golden concept of waterfall all the requirements have been designed up front none of it changes it's all been thoroughly researched all i got to do is write code right and it's all written in a in a very rigid syntax i can go it's practically code right like we would love that that's not how anybody but us thinks though <laughs> do you actually do you wonder if that's why so much of the wor- the like business struggles to actually get rid of the concept of waterfall because we keep asking for it. We keep asking for it effectively. Yeah, yeah. So even even with with user stories, right? Like, oh no, 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 no. The requirement has to be in this format. As a role, I want feature so that business objective, right? Like we are trying to force a syntax a well-thought-out syntax upon the business. They don't actually care. They're like, I just want a button on the page. Can I get a button on the page? When you click it, it needs to say hello. That's all they care about. And they want to explain it to us like they're in an elevator and they're just describing what they see in their head. That's that's what they want to do. They don't get syntax. None of it makes any sense to them. And we're like, no, we need more information. We, we need more, we need more, we need more. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work that's why there's always that conflict that's why very recently i've i've given up on 
that style of requirement. Now, if I get that style of requirement, I'm overjoyed, but I've given up on it being a guaranteed thing. The thing that I can guarantee that I'm going to get from them is that they want a button on the screen. It needs to be blue. And when you click it, it says, hello. If I can get that and they can draw me a picture, I don't even care if it's a good picture, but if they can draw me any kind of picture, then I'll take the picture. I'll do what I think they want. I'll show that to them. Is this what you wanted? Yes or no. And then we move on. Everybody's happy. I did what they wanted. I got the information I wanted because I asked them for it. Um, I've spent too much of my career being overly strict and, excuse me, and angry that they couldn't do their job <laughs> when they're doing their job the best that they can. I'm asking them to do something else that they don't understand. And maybe, I, you know, I wish they understood it, but they don't. That's not how they think. If they thought like that, they'd be developers and they'd be angry at their VA. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that's why I think it's important when, when we're having those discussions, uh, m- myself included, I've, I've ab- all but abandoned the syntax. Like people, people have tried to introduce the, the syntax, the, the Gherkin, the, the user stories to teams that in, t- filled with, with business professionals that are great at their job that haven't had that exposure to that syntax before. And that's where you lose them. What, what I typically try to stick to is I want the spirit of that. I want to try the best that I can to understand the intent of this feature item, of this work item. I want to understand the behavior we're trying to capture. I want to understand the, the feature that we're trying to develop and the value we're hoping to get out of it. Additionally, I would like to understand how we're going to verify and validate that that story is complete. Did we? How do we know when we did our job? It's when they give you a thumbs up. That's the point of the syntax is to like give you almost a template to try to say, let's get this. But but what what do you think about? I mean, again, we could say, why don't we just put a template in? But that's just a new version of of syntax. How do you? How do we encourage that kind of? Um, master the intent versus like um, follow the rule. Yeah. So, so forget the format. There are just a few parts to a good requirement, no matter how it's written. Okay. From the business side, you have the role, which I, you know, I mentioned earlier with the user story, but that's just a, that's just a, you know, you have the role who is, who is doing this thing or who wants this thing. You have the feature. So what is it that they want? It, it could just be they want to click a button if that's what they want. And then you have the business objective. So that's the, the value that the company expects to get back out of this thing. Those are on the business side of a requirement, right? There are things that the business should be considering because that's how they determine the valuation. You know, is it worth us paying a developer, you know, over $100,000 a, a year to write this for us? On the development side, we want a context, Right. So what are the preconditions? What has to have happened already? What is the action that's being taken? You know, there's there has to be an action or we're not really doing anything. I mean, like if the action is I browsed to the home page, that's still the action. I opened up the browser and we have to have a result. So what's supposed to happen? So the precondition, maybe I'm a customer and I know where the website is. The action is I opened up the website at a browser. 
And the uh, expectation or the result is I see the homepage, right? So like, <laughs> that's all you need. You have three things for the business and three things for the developer. We don't necessarily have to care about getting the things for the business. They're nice to have because they let us know that they've thought it out, but they're not required. Those things are typically the user story. They're there to justify the work, not to give us information about how the work needs to be done. The acceptance criteria, which I like to see in Gherkin format, but I've, you know, again, sort of kind of given up on that, is the given uh, preconditions, when action, then result, right? Simple. But if I can get the action or the preconditions, the action and the result, I know what to program. I can get most of that from a picture and I can get the rest of it from asking the BA what's supposed to happen. Or doing it and finding out that you did it wrong. Right. Which hopefully prompts a good conversation to come to that shared understanding of what the original ask was. And if, if they give me a picture, I can at least get that far before I ask questions. And I'll, I'll remake the picture and they'll be like, okay, now what? Or, hey, there's this text that was in that picture. Where does that come from? Do we need to translate that? What languages do we need to translate that into? Is this coming from an API call? Is this populating a form? What happens when I click the submit button? Does it go out to an API call? What do we expect to see happen on the on the customer support side of this this whole spiel? Endless questions, but we can ask them directly instead of requiring that the business analyst who probably just started at the company and doesn't know what's going on anyway, um, instead of expecting that they're going to put all of this stuff together for us before we even work on it, we need we need very little information to actually start working on a new feature for the application. Which brings us to uh, another one of Blazor Mr. Magoo's suggestions of starting to build before your design is complete. I mean, you kind of have to, don't you? Is the design ever complete? Are we talking about programming design or application UI design? Are we, talk are we talking about like architectural design or, or you know, workflows and... and UML and stuff. I I would go with, I, I'm I'm focusing more on the first part of the phrase of starting starting work before you have an understanding of what you're trying to deliver. Oh, if I if I didn't, I would never start work. I I did work today. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so Wednesday, got it. Yeah. I've, <laughs> um. <laughs> I so what okay. Yeah, and that can, that can be quite liberating too because you can do a lot of exploratory experimenting of th this is my understanding and and again that can be a good avenue to have that conversation of this is what I'm thinking this is what I this is the avenue I've started down am I on the right path is this going to get me where you were thinking we might end up Yeah I I used to get into analysis paralysis uh, for applications. And that's that's why I love TDD so much, because it allowed me to ask a very simple question. What's the next thing I need to do? I don't need to know all of it. I just need to know the next thing. And then as far as it's like, so it would be good to take a step back, look at the work that needs to be done, um, you know, have a conversation about patterns and practices and architecture and all that stuff. Um, but I can also do that stuff along the way as I do just that little bit extra. You know, I write one one method. Okay, 
Now let me look at the system as a whole. Where does this method belong? Should it be moved? Can it be pulled out as a class? Is it isolated? Is it grouped together? Are there other things that are going to call this? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, those tests really do open up a lot of freedom and flexibility to move things around. I, I think that one of the things that comes out of uh, building before you design, which I think is one of the things that people most dislike, is there's inevitable like frustration or friction and tension, right? And I think what I, I like to see those things as, as, as actually positive it's, it's difficult because I think a lot of people tend to shy away, especially from conflict, from um, from that sort of that tension where be different people, different groups are trying to like accomplish different things or or, or work out. But um, I think that a lot of times that's actually that can actually be a very good thing because it it actually can help um, all of those different port forces pulling on one another can actually bring that solution into a better knowledge of the the, the domain and actually can bring a better solution um, when it's all when it's all said and done as opposed to a solution where someone thought it up all in their head ahead of time and they've got all the answers and now they're just telling people how to execute you can have a lot of less con a lot less conflict a lot less um, tension and frustration and it's easy to implement but in the long run that one person that solution is sort of like only developed by that one mind and that one mind's opinion and perspective whereas that tension solution comes out of a lot of different ideas and they all sort of like working themselves out they can definitely be a still create a bad a bad problem and ultimately you can't have bad kinds of conflict where people aren't willing to compromise, aren't willing to like come and see other others perspectives. But when you get that good kind of tension, um, it still is frustrating because you want to like, you want to get in and you want to do something and you want to go fast and you want to like get this thing done, but you're like feeling like you're held back, but that's usually a better thing in the end. I don't know. That's sort of my take on that. Yeah. The, the favorite teams that I've been a part of are highly collaborative. Don't mind having the debates and arrive at compromise like we we've had the debates we've we've heard the sides we've come to a resolution we're going to continue to move forward in what we think is the the most most beneficial path uh we may be wrong we we might learn some lessons we might pivot if we need to uh we, we won't hold it against people hopefully we'll we'll come to an agreement we'll we'll realize that we're all in this together we're all working towards a common goal for the betterment of the team for the betterment of the organization my my favorite teams are the ones that have individuals that disagree with me <laughs> yeah i i thoroughly enjoy the argument i mean uh, debate <laughs> uh, um well none of my preconceptions get challenged unless somebody disagrees with me so I, I like to have them challenged because it makes me revalidate them or change my mind and decide, oh, that person's right. They have some good points. And I feel like that's probably a, a pretty good place to to start to wrap up. Are there any other items that we wanted to, to cover for episode 200? Uh, we may not put it in the episode, but Freakin' Ward did say, could you elaborate on accepting the rework? And I assume he's talking about when we were talking about going fast. I could be wrong if he's still out there. 
Yeah, so I can I can still elaborate, but um, the the what I meant by accepting the rework is when you're going fast and or when you don't have like the the design fully flushed out or whatever. A lot of times, what you'll end up having to do is build something in one way, right? And then um, we either maybe it's immediate. You get made immediate feedback that says no, this this wasn't exactly right. So now you have to go and rebuild that or pretty shortly down the line, you realize, wait a second, we went a wrong direction and now we have to like backtrack and put that. And I think there's a huge emphasis on rework is a negative, bad term, bad thing. And, and, um, developers don't want to do it because they're just sort of like, well, you know, I'm just doing the same thing I did over again. And I could have told you that this wasn't going to work. Uh, you know, there's like tons of those sorts of, of opinions that sort of get out there. And then uh, project managers and business can be like rework is, you know, I'm paying, having to pay tw- twice or for the same thing. And rework can be a really bad notion in that in that regard. But um, we should be, I think, from a development perspective, a little bit more open to the idea that we're not going to get it right the first time that that every t- every iteration of code is a shading process of saying this is a stab towards the target we don't even clearly see that even if it seems clear we don't really clearly see the target and um we're just trying to take an aim and a shot at it and every time every pass and every iteration is sort of narrowing us into that new target or maybe the target literally changes because because that's we're living in a dynamic world, not a stationary one. And so as much as we get upset with the business changing their minds all the time, it's it's possible that they didn't have any cho- choice other than to change because the world itself is dynamic. And so we yeah, I just think I hear from developers too much like that rework being a bad word. Yeah, and it is software. If if we've done our our jobs and, and done our jobs well, it should be easy to change. Yeah, I, I figure, so there, to me, there's, there's two kinds of rework, right? There's the rework that I just know is going to happen, right? Every single line of code I write is wrong. It's going to get changed, especially when the business has to pivot uh, for reasons like, like Ash said. But then there's the, the other kind of rework where, um, and it can go, I guess there's two different branches of this kind of rework, but there's there's the rework where there's some code that was written poorly, like just absolutely poorly, like we're going fast poorly, and it has to be re- reworked. That's technical debt because, it, well, it's technical debt if the developers cracked under pressure and just wrote bad code. If it was written in one of those bubbles that we were talking about, and the purpose of this code is to be thrown away, then I don't consider that technical debt. It was an experiment. It served its purpose. Now we're going to lance the boil, throw it away. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, That kind of rework where you're having to rebuild a module, but you're building it to your development practices and standards as opposed to uh, developing developing it as a test, which was intentionally done without care to patterns and practices and testing and whatnot. To me, that's not really rework. That is removing something that was a test and then building the actual correct feature. 
that's that's still going to get rewritten because you're still going to do it wrong and the 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 uh, the requirements are going to change if not immediately then over time but to me that's that's the acceptable kind of rework that i would like to see most businesses are not willing to take on the that kind of rework they think that that is technical debt when really it's not it's two different purposes of code those businesses will go out of business soon because i mean that that's the i think the direction the industry is going because as devops sort of takes in and the ability the need for being able to deliver new features test new ideas and kind of get that stuff out quickly um that's sort of the direction you have to go is short and quick experiments because because if your competitors are able to push out new changes and new ideas much faster than you can, then you don't have enough time to get it right the first time. You have to be able to test an idea and get it get it out there. So that sort of thing is going to, uh, it's taking over and it's going to take over and the people that don't will get left behind. All right, we'll call it there. So chat, thanks so much for joining us this evening. Uh, listeners on the podcast, thanks so much for tuning in and subscribing. Uh, we really do appreciate all of the support, all of the the messages, all of the likes, subscribes, all of the things. Uh, it makes it that much easier to continue to do what we do. Uh, this has been an amazing journey uh, for episode 200. We're continuing on and, and looking forward to the next 200. So with that, we will say... Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll continue the conversation in on Twitch, uh, but we will call the podcast from here. And Clayton, you can take it away from there. Oh, I thought you were going to throw in some kind of line about it depends. But oh, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> I, I think the uh, I, I think the the moral of the conversation is it really depends. It it depends on the situation, what type of approach might be best in your particular situation. So. Uh, I think Ash mentioned, be open-minded, realize that we're all in this together, realize that we are, should all be working together towards a common goal. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash.